going to get started this morning. If you would open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5. We're looking at uh, the Christian life in the last days. We have seen the revelation of the last days in the Olivet Discourse. And then James chapter 5 is one of the categories of people in the last days, the very rich. And now we're seeing this... Uh, this problem in the last days that's being very well defined. What we are to look for, what are some of the markers that are there. Now, an interesting thing about these, these are important to look for at any point in history. At any point in time, they, these are just as important in the second century as they are in the 20th century or 21st century. They're, they're extremely important because they, they help us identify what the problems of the flesh are that are going on at the at the time of the end. And so we uh, got through the first four verses uh, last week, and um, I, I wish it would all worked according to plan last week with the live streaming and everything else. And part of it we got fixed. One we didn't is the handout you have says January 2nd instead of January 9th because uh, the person that made it uh, messed up which being me, and so anyway, we uh, you got to confess your sins. That's all there is to it if you want to stay straight. These things are ways that we identify the last days because they're so prevalent within the society, and for the first time in the history of the world, we can know what's going on all over the world at almost the same time. So let's take a few moments for silent prayer before we begin in order to prepare ourselves to uh, study the Word of God. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father, once again, we thank you for the many blessings. We thank you for the test. We thank you for the opportunities to be able to serve you and to be able to learn your Word and try to make it rule our life. Father, we pray this morning we'll be able to understand this. We'll be able to remember uh, the principles here. And Father, we'll be able to apply them wisely so you may get all the glory. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we started off in verse 1, it says, and it said, no, in the last days. And it's not really says the last days. It says in last days. And the reason... <coughs> I make a point out of that is because if it had the with eschatos that it would uh, be there, then it would be looking specifically at a time frame. But what it is doing with leaving that definite article out, in last days we know Jesus is the first and the last. And we know that in the hearts and minds of a lot of people, he becomes last. He is irrelevant to a lot of people the way they live. And that's basically what they're saying because these 20 things that are going to follow, he's going. they're, they're listed as sins and it's like, oh, people are part of it. They brag about these things. If they're a narcissist, they brag about it. I'm, yeah, I'm very self-centered. They write books about it, uh, which is uh, the... the uh, looking out for old number one and things like that. And they're, they're happy to be these things. You have psychology today that if you have one of these particular problems, they're going to tell you to embrace it. Just embrace it. That's who you are. Well, we're 
we've got sin natures, and the Lord does accept us just as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. So he tells us what he wants what he expects from us, and that we should pay attention to. So if we're in last days, which I'm, I believe we are chronologically, <clears throat> and we're reaching the point where in the hearts and minds of men and women, we are, uh, the Lord is moving to last place, just clearly moving to last place. <clears throat> Most recent polls in the United States is about 30% of the people have no religious affiliation whatsoever. They, they basically are secular humanist, atheist, and that's what they, they claim to be. And they don't have a problem with that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But if there's no fear of the Lord, then they don't really have real knowledge. And that's what part of what this chapter is dealing with. We'll see that especially in verse 7. Now in verse 5, after giving us this list of 20 different things, it says holding to a form of godliness. This present tense of echo means it's an ongoing lifestyle. It's a participle. Holding to a form, which is morphosis, only used twice, and it's an outward resemblance of something, and a form of godliness. Now, godliness is eusebia, and it's a word that denotes primarily devotion to someone or something, holding to a form of godliness. So it say, it's saying they look like they're godly people on the outside. Okay? Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Denied is in the perfect tense. And having denied in the perfect tense means that they have, they're not using it. They have disowned it. They see no value in it whatsoever. Having denied its inherent power, that's dunamis. We get dynamite from it. Dynamite, of course, doesn't do any damage till it's set off, but it's got an inherent power that you don't want to set it off. Well, you have a dunamis inside of you it's called the holy spirit and you want to let the holy spirit rule your life that's what you want to do and that's where the power comes to overcome all of these these things and he says holding to a form of uh, uh, godliness denying its power and it says avoid or turn away literally apotrepo means turn away from such men as these so there are indicators that Jesus has become last in the lives of humanity. Now, <clears throat> I want you to think about when when it happens, because the term last days can refer to last days of the church or the last days of the age of Israel, which is the tribulation. So, as we know, in the last days of the church, it's this beginning of birth pangs from the Olivet Discourse that's leading up to the Millennial Kingdom, which is the birth that, that uh, prophets have been looking for forever. And so when the rapture happens, though, think how small this number is going to be. What's the tribulation going to look like? These 20 things? That's what it's going to look like. People are just going to be fully involved in that unless they listen to the angel that gives the gospel to the whole world or the 144,000 that are giving the gospel or Moses and Elijah out in the desert. And that, but after the rapture happens, this is, this is the status quo of planet Earth. Now, is that a place really you'd want to live? 
But if you don't see anything wrong with these and it's become your life, well, that's the tribulational mindset. And <clears throat> the 20 listed here are. And what we're going to do this morning, we went through the exegesis of these verses last week. And we're going to briefly talk about them just just again. Because the word first one is lovers of self. This is philates. It's the only word, only time this word used in the New Testament. It's it's interesting because it's talking about narcissists very clearly. A narcissist. If you look it up in um, the the DSM-4, which is the psychological Bible that you have, you find out it's a person that just loves themselves over and above anybody and everybody else. That's what the that's what a narcissist is. Uh, it, there's identifying marks. There's identifying characteristics. They take everything that you say and twist it around to them. Some people want to take things and they just want to be the center of attention no matter what it is. Although that's got its own psychological issue called it is histrionic. That's when somebody wants to be the center of attention whether for good or bad and they don't care which one it is. So narcissists are ones that are in it for the pleasure. Okay, And with the pleasure comes the fame, fortune, and power because that brings glory to them. Do you think maybe the Pharisees were that? He says you pray long prayers in front of men so you'll be seen by them. And he said, truly, I tell you, you've got your reward in full. It was just about being seen. So the first thing on the list is narcissist. The next is lovers of money, philargoros, only used twice. And in Luke 16, 14, the other place it's used, it's used to describe the Pharisees. They were lovers of money. They were the religious leaders. And basically the Lord called them out and said, you know, these guys were in it for the money. Uh, sad that there are people in the ministry now that are in it for the money. I, I don't know where that is, but they, uh, they're, they're in it for the money. And they just, you can see that whenever a person tries to hire a pastor. Uh, it's a sad thing. I, uh, Dan Hawkins has been involved in hiring two or three pastors for different churches. And some of the stories he can tell you, they had a the church down in Texas. He was the one that made the initial contact, the initial, initial screening, and went through that. And uh, they got like 120 applicants. And the bulk of them wanted to know more about the salary, the benefits, and everything else that went along. Instead of back when I got out of seminary, there was still quite a few people that it was it was ministry that they were involved in. Is this a group of people that I can invest in and they can invest in me and we can grow together and become a family? That's what you're that's what you look for, I think. And money's secondary. And I, I believe that that's the way it should be. When someone's called to the pastorate, I know you've got to provide for your family, but also know firsthand the Lord is the one that provides for you. And sometimes it's lean pickings, but that's the way it is. The Lord is the one that provides. And um, I used to paint houses as a bivocational uh, project, which is... Uh, so Mike and I identify very well about what it means to slap some paint on a house and, and what it means to paint the wrong thing and stuff like that. So I can kind of identify with that. But I also know that for a span of 20 years, he never had me over two or three weeks 
out where I had I was booked for two or three weeks, and uh, the minute I finished the last job, within 24 hours I get another call. Amazing. And whenever I was hired on to write foundations, what also is amazing is that I only got two calls in the next year for people wanting me to do paint work. It's kind of like, okay, God, God has just told me I've moved you on to do something else. But a, a mindset of a pastor, a minister, a steward of God's word should be how do I serve? How do I serve? And that's the way that it's, that it's got to be. Lovers of money. Boastful. Oh, do you think there's any lovers of money today? We just read James 5, right? <laughs> I mean, why, why is some of this stuff going on the way it's going on uh, in the business world, uh, in the government? Why are some things going on like that? People are lovers of money. They've set aside their ethics. They have been purchased for a price, and it's not the one that Jesus paid for. It's purchased for the wrong things. Boastful. A lot zone is the word used. Only two times it's used. Now, notice going through here, very few of these words are used very often in the New Testament. And so, as as an exegete, you go through there and go, oh, that one's used once, that one's used twice, that one's used twice, next one used five times, four times, two times, one time, one time. And you see these words and you go... He is describing something unique in the last days. He's given us hints here, but he says in the last days, these things are a little different than they would have known them in the first century. And boy, is that true. We see some unique type of things. This is a wonder, this is a boastful, is basically, when you track the etymology of the word down, it's one who wanders around the country. It's a vagabond, and it's an imposter. It's somebody that's claiming to be one thing and actually being something else and they're holding themselves up like, uh, like some people would hold themselves up and say that I'm a military veteran when they're not. That would be the type of person that would, that would fit into this. They're boasting about things that will bring them credentials and credit and then they are actually not that. And it's just like, okay, what, what can I get away with? What can I get away with? There's been more than one politician that's claimed military service and turns out they weren't in the military at all. More, more than one. Boastful. Next one is huperephanos, which is the word for um, uh, arrogant. Let's see. Okay, I need to go back here. Arrogant is the... Uh, uh, hold it. Here they are. Arrogant. Huperephanos. This word is used five times. And ephanos, we get epiphany from it. It means to manifest. Hooper is the preposition for over. So to manifest yourself over someone else. It's an elitism. It's a word of elitism to claim that you are better than somebody else. And this is a group of fame seekers. They, that's what they're in it for. The four major temptations of man, according to Chuck Swindoll, is fame, fortune, power, and pleasure. 
and I haven't found a better description anywhere. So I stole it from him 30 years ago and been using it ever since. But fame, fortune, power, and pleasure. And these are the people seeking fame. They're 10 minutes of fame, they're 15 minutes of fame, whatever it might be. <clears throat> the next one we find is blasphemers. I think they put revilers in the original, in the New American Standard translation, but it's blasphemos. Only used four times. And it's a word that means to speak against God, to lie about God. That's what blasphemy actually is. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, interestingly enough, what is the Holy Spirit's role? To reveal the Son. John chapter 16. So when a person is an unbeliever, all unbelievers are blasphemers of the Holy Spirit. That's what it amounts to. Because they have not accepted who Jesus Christ is. They're a blasphemer of the Holy Spirit. Now the Lord didn't pay for that sin if it's carried out to the end of your life. And that's what the term blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is all about. It's not about taking God's name in vain or using a bad word or something like that. That's not what it's about. It is much deeper than that. When a person calls God, the Holy Spirit a liar about who Christ is for the entirety of their life, that's it. It's just they're lost. <clears throat> the blasphemers are those who lie about God. It's interesting that they're floating around almost everywhere. You can catch them on late night TV if you can stand it for very long. Uh, most of my late night TV is about 10 to 15 seconds uh, at the most. And they say something I don't want to listen to. And, and uh, you know, you'd almost rather watch a rerun of Gunsmoke or something uh, than, <clears throat> than uh, yeah, <laughs> my parents knew all the Gunsmoke shows. All the John Wayne shows and all of all of those. <laughs> I was with my dad one day. He had El Diablo or something like that on. He said, with Dean Martin or something, he said, now this next scene is really good. Because <laughs> he, he can't re couldn't remember hardly his name, but he could remember that scene in El Diablo. So <laughs> anyway, uh, disobedient to parents. Uh, a pathos. Pathos is the word persuaded is what it means. The A means not persuaded. It's used actually six times and says they're unwilling to be persuaded. And uh, parental authority is broken down. That's what this whole thing is about. Parental authority for the most part is broken down. And we've seen that happen a lot for sure where parental authority has, has broken down in the last days. Then we find... <clears throat> Without grace. Uh, this word is acharistos. Charis is the word for grace. It's only used two times. Over in Luke chapter 6, verse 35 and 36 is where this word is used. And it's a, it's a person that want without grace. This kind of looks at the way a person lives. See, they want grace to themselves. If they get caught in a trespass, what do they want? Grace. You get caught in a sin, what do they want? Grace. But they want you to have to pay for everything that you've ever done wrong in your life. 
So it says without grace, and it's describing an attitude that's really a very self-righteous attitude that basically claims that I do everything right and what you do wrong, we need to hold you accountable for. So that is a without, without grace. Again, only used twice. So it's kind of looking at in last days when this, this specifically is involved, then we find that there's something a little bit different about the way it was back in the first century. Then in uh, point H <clears throat> is without experiential holiness. Now, you, you have in that translation simply unholy. This word is anasios. And I make a big distinction here because the normal word for holy is hagios. And any, anybody gets past first year Greek knows hagios is the word for holy because you get drilled into it, used multiple times. It's something that you, you find out. And then when you run into a word like hasios that's only used eight times in the New Testament, three of those times are connected with the phrase you will not allow your holy one to undergo decay. And you look at it and you go, it's a little bit different you realize that <clears throat> he is the only Hasias, holy one. You see that pastors are called to be this kind of holy. And so you track it down, and the best explanation I've seen is it's experiential holiness. Be holy as he is holy. That's what is what we're called to do. And this is a holiness that is uh, an experiential holiness where you know what God wants you to do and you're doing it, but this is without any experiential holiness. We're finding groups of people, large groups of people now, they don't care about doing things according to the way God does them. These are the kind of people that have turned evil into good and good into evil. That's what they are. They don't have any experiential holiness. Then we find without natural affection. Astorgas. This is really a sad word to even talk about. It's used in Romans 1.31. It's only used two times too. That anasios word is only used two times. In 1 Timothy 1.9 means to be experientially holy. But this word astorgas, astorgas has to do with natural affection. Uh, love of a brother, and most especially the love of parents for children and children for parents. So to say that it's without the natural affection that a parent would have for a child or a child would have for a parent, it's saying that, that people are cold and calloused and they don't even have the normal things that should be there that are pretty well built into all of us. There's a natural affection that should be there. And that's the last days. That's the last days. You see situations where parents don't care about their kids. And then when the parents don't care about the kids, what happens to the kids? They don't care about the parents either. And it's, it's really uh, sad to see. Sometimes the parents really do care, but the, the kids are... are so turned off, they don't like the way the parents care for them. And so they, they, uh, they respond in, in kind, where they, there's no good, common family relationship that is there. And that's what this word is talking about. 
This uh, next one, I forget how they translate it uh, in the New American Standard, but I took a good look at this word. Uh, Aspondos is the word that is used. It's the only place it's used. And the word spondos means a libation, a drink, without a drink. And so you go, what? What does it mean without a drink? And so you look a little bit farther because what they used to do was whenever they made a truce or a commitment or a contract, they would drink to it. Have you, have you heard that phrase? I'll drink to that. Okay, that's what they're talking about. <clears throat> I'm making a contract with you. <clears throat> and what it is saying is that this is a person who can't be persuaded to enter, enter into a covenant. Implacable is one of the English descriptions of this particular word. They won't make covenant commitments. They won't agree with won't agree to anything. So that's why I translated it without commitment. Because if I translated it without a drink, that could get lost in translation. But this is what the what the word is about. There's no honor in keeping one's word. And it doesn't care. That's what a spondos is, is all about. And what do you find now when people make contracts and covenants? I still remember <clears throat> when people would a handshake was a deal. And I mean, they'd buy and sell large pieces of property. I knew a cattleman out in western Oklahoma one time. He had all of his, this was in the uh, early 70s. He had all of his checks already made out for $100. His secretary did that, which $100 back then was about what I made in a week. So it's, it's quite a bit. And he bought cattle with them. And whenever he found cattle that he wanted to buy, he just signed the bottom of the check. And they handed over the checks, and they got the cows, and that's the way, that's the way it went. He was, he was a cattleman. And they did everything by handshake. Everything by handshake. If you didn't keep your word, <clears throat> word got out, nobody did business with you. And you were, what you committed to, you were expected to do. That was, that was the way it functioned, and that wasn't that long ago. Fifty years ago, that's the way it functioned right now. And right now, if anybody says, well, go ahead and sign it, we'll get an attorney and figure out how to get out of it. And see, that's not, there's no honor in that. There's no character. There's no integrity. And for Christians to act that way, that's bad. And you know the bad thing about it? See all these things going on? A lot of Christians are involved. You know, why do you say that? Because some people read this and go, boy, that's what unbelievers look like. Well, keep reading in the chapter. Because when you go through the rest of this chapter, you find out that there are people holding to a form of godliness, but they have denied its power. They look like the real deal, but they don't care anything about living a life free of all these, these, these problems. So, <clears throat> we find the, without commitment, we find slanderers. That's diabolos. What comes out of that word? Diabolicals, what comes out of that word. It's one of the uh, descriptions of the devil himself. Is the devil a slanderer? That's what he does. Who does he lie about? The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, primarily. But he will slander you every chance he gets. <clears throat> he is a slanderer. When did he start that? 
our first record is back in the garden with a man and a woman. Oh, God's just telling you a story. You go ahead and eat from that. You're not going to die. You're not going to die. He's talking like somebody that knows. Somebody that had partaken of the forbidden fruit back during the time because he's already fallen. He's still alive. So you're not going to die. You're going to be like him, knowing good and evil. You see, knowledge is starting to come into this, and we're going to see that in the next few verses, where knowledge without love is part of the problem. Then we find without self-control, that's a krates, again, used one time in the New Testament. These are not oddball words, by the way. Krateo, that, that's a common word for power that is used, used primarily of physical strength, put an A on the front of it, without physical strength, and it looks at without self-control. That's how it's, how it's being used. So it says that they're led by their lust and their impulses. Do any retailers make money off of that? Why do they have all that junk sitting by the checkout counter? Now, what do they call it? Impulse buying. You're on the way out the door. Hey, I need a box of gum. And I mean, <clears throat> that's that's what they do. They catch you on the way out and go, I forgot a Snickers bar. Oh, I don't really need a Snickers bar. But <clears throat> there it is. And so they catch you on the way out to try and sell you a few more items uh, on the way. <clears throat> but... Without self-control, see, if if we had self-control, that wouldn't work, would it? <laughs> That's part of the part part of the problem. Without self-control, again, the last days. We're what is one of the the fruit of the spirit? The last one: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. Right. So that's part of the fruit of the spirit. Certain foods we don't need to eat. Certain foods just don't fit well with our body. And yet, where's the self-control? Because sometimes we take them in anyway. And so self-control is about doing the things that we ought to do even when we don't feel like it. It's one of the functions of love. Then we find the word brutal. This is anamoros. It too is used one time. It's uh, from the word, <laughs> it's an interesting word, hameros means gentle. And the A on the front of it means not gentle. Uh, Epictetus describes those who forget God as their creator resemble, resembling lions, wild, salvage, and anameros. It's a person that loves violence. Brutal is a person that loves violence. That's basically at the heart of what this this word is. And then it says, not a lover of good. A philagathos. Agathos is the word for good. Philos is the word for a friend of or a lover of. To love is a friend. That's what the philos word uses. And then the A on the front of it. It too is used one time. All we find in the New Testament not a lover of good, literally, is what, what the word says. And uh, um, they actually don't know what good is. 
Look at some of the people that pop up on the television screen that by their speech and their actions, they have evil flowing out of it. And then they think they're doing good. And they actually don't know what good is. Because to a narcissist, what's good? Huh. Bringing attention to self. Uh, to a lover of money, what's good? Increasing in the bank account. Okay. To a person without self-control, what's good? That which I shouldn't do. I mean, look at all, all of these things that are here. Not a lover of good. They don't even know what good is. So why would they, why would they love it? How about uh, this next word? And uh, this has got another translation in the uh, English that is there. But it's predates. It's used three times. And it's used of Judas in Luke 6.16. The other place it's used is Acts 7.52, where it's used of the religious leaders that betrayed Christ. So this word means literally to give before, but it is to give over. Paradidomi means to place beside, and it's translated betray. And this is a word that looks at a traitor. They're traitors, they are betrayers. They betray that which is good, they betray their loved ones. That's what, what goes on, and they're traitors. Now, we should be have respect for our country, and of course that has to have some ideological things that go along with it. But people who are just, just traitors, they say one thing and do another. That all connects into they don't make commitments. They don't want to make commitments because they know they're probably going to break them somewhere along the line. That's what, why traitors is a good translation for that word. The next word is propetes. It's used twice. See this whole thing going, going down through here? These are things that you can connect to the last days because they're slightly different. They're unique. And we've had things go on in our lives uh, and over the, the course of the last hundred years. When we start looking at the things that have happened over the course of the last hundred years around the world and, and in our country, things have, have changed. The, the forms have changed. The tests are the same. They always have been, always will be. Are you going to love God or not? I mean, the tests are always the same. But the form it takes is different. And so now we have all kinds of ways to communicate with one another. We have all kinds of ways to play the one-upmanship games. What about the some of the uh, high school kids at times that pick on other people? Well, that, that wouldn't have happened very much back in... Our day, for very long, you pick on the wrong person, somebody's going to hurt you. And that's, the bullies always found, up, found out somebody's going to stand up to them. And, but the word propetes, used twice, Acts 19.36, and it means to fall forwards. And so I looked at that and I went, what does that mean? The word pra is forward. Pipto, the word it comes from, means to fall. And it's used metaphorically to to signify rash or reckless. In other words, fall forward to get ahead of yourself so you become unbalanced. And that's why I went with the translation here, unbalanced. They're actions without wisdom behind them. Again, they are based on impulses. 
There are more and more dev- daredevils to be found that they want to take uh, take risk and do things that uh, are just reckless to, to do. And he says, that's one of the marks of the last days. So um, now you can do something reckless in southeast Oklahoma. You can hire a guide to go look for Bigfoot. I'd say if that's what you want to do, go look for that rascal. <laughs> See if you can find him out there. Golly. Anyway, uh, unbalanced. Out, out of whack. Not thinking properly. Because Christians, see, can get unbalanced. Can they not? We get out get out over your skis is one of the, the terms that's, that's used whenever you're leaning too far forward and the next thing you know, you face plant uh, into the snow or get out over your skateboard or whatever it is. Unbalanced means you just don't have any stability in your life. Primarily because you're not standing on the rock. Now, then we have conceited. Conceited is the word tufao, and it's a perfect passive participle that's used here. It means basically to be wrapped up in smoke. Interesting words that we've got here. It's used four times, actually. Concealed with, sp- with smoke. And these are the people that think they know something and they really don't. They, it's like living in a self-centered fog. Living in a self-centered fog that uh, is all about you and everything else. And we could say living in a bubble. Living in a bubble. Conceited is the word. R is uh, lovers of hedonism. Philodontos. It's only used once. Uh, Adonos is where we get hedonism from. Philos, a lover of hedonism. Now, hedonism is all about pleasure-seeking. And that's the playboy mentality. That's what he wrote, Hugh Hefner wrote for, I don't know how long he wrote about the, the playboy philosophy. And it was a hedonistic philosophy. It was all about pleasure-seeking. It did a lot of damage to this country over the course of time. Then we find S, not lovers of God. Philotheos, only use of that word here. Theos is God, philos is love. Not a lover of God. Now that's kind of bringing it to a conclusion, isn't it? Because if those other 18 things that we've just seen, those other, if you're involved in those, you don't love God. Because all those things are prohibited. <clears throat> and then this last one, holding to a form. It is a, morphosis is only used twice, of godliness. And these are people who are hypocrites in so-called devotion to the Almighty and to the Word. They go to church for networking. They go to work for contacts. They go to work for to church for all, all the wrong reasons. Instead of, how do, how do we learn what God wants us to do, that which is pleasing in His sight, so we can serve one another and, and, and invite more people into the kingdom? Why are we here? Well, that's the holding to a form of godliness. Going through the motions. Ritual to the point that it is not a reality. Some rituals are not bad. Some rituals are just doing the same thing over and over and over again. I know places that cite the Apostles' Creed. 
Nothing really wrong with that. Over and over and over, people recite it. They don't know what's in it. Honestly, don't know what it, what's in it. Just rote memorization. Holding to a form. Now, there are many ways to determine when Jesus is becoming last in the hearts of humanity and we've just seen them. When he becomes last, the judgments of the last days are ready to begin. <clears throat> and the fallen nature of man has taken over the worldviews of the last days. That's basically what we've got. These 20 things that we have seen, there are people that look like the real deal and, and they're not. Now, God's revelation is really very practical concerning Christian life in the last days. We've just seen what's not good. It's been labeled as not good. Not the way we should think. Not the way we should act. Not the way we should speak. We've just seen those things. And yet this is typical of life in the last days of the church and of the tribulation. How do I know it's part of the tribulation? I read ahead. All the way into the book of Revelation, chapter 16. And you find out the Lord is pouring out judgments upon planet earth trying to get their attention. And it says, and they blaspheme the God of the heaven. The only reason they were still there is by his grace. Giving them another chance. Now the prime example <coughs> of, of this godliness this form of godliness. This is where we're getting into it. In verse 6, it says, For among them... Now, these are the people that hold to the form of godliness of verse 5. Okay, When you look for pronouns and you're identifying we, you, they, he, she, it, you have to look for the, the antecedent of that, the noun antecedent. And so when it says among them, that's the people holding to the form of godliness. And it says, are those who enter. Now, <clears throat> this word enduno up here, when you, when you run into a word like that, enduno is only used one time. Shock, shock. In is, means just what it is, in. And duno mean, means to put, a, put clothing on. So it's not just going through the door. That's erkomai. Ice erkomai, go into the door. It's not a simple act it's talking about. It says, <clears throat> in fact, it's used, do know is used by itself to put on armor. Something that you're putting on. It means to creep into. It means to insinuate yourself into. To enter, it says those who enter, that's a very... Simple translation, but the word is a lot more complex. You basically, it says they're putting on that house. They're moving into that house. They, they uh, uh, enter into households, but they put on that house as their own. And how can that happen in the plural? Houses, oikia in the plural. Huh. Enter into households, clothe themselves with a house, literally. And captivate. This word is eikmalatizo. It's used four times, and it's a very technical word, meaning to become a prisoner of war. And <clears throat> means to lead away captive. Uh, metaphorically, can be used to capture someone's mind or to captivate. 
They're entering into houses and they captivate weak women. Now this is gunaikarion. It's the only place it's used. And it basically means a, a weak woman is basically what it means. One that's not doctrinally stable. Uh, 1 Timothy 5 talks about the importance of women being doctrinally stable. Weak women weighed down with sins. Now, weighed down is the word saruo in a perfect tense, which means they got a load they can't seem to get rid of, but the, it's used two times. In Romans 12:20, it's used to heap burning coals on someone's head. Do good to those who do evil to you. In so doing, you will heap burning coals on their head. You'll pile it on. means to heap upon. And it says that they are weighed down as having been heaped upon with sins. It's a passive that is here. Sins is hamartia, common word for sins, missings of the mark. Led on by various, which is uh, poikolos. It's a word means diverse or various. Very good translation. Impulses, epithumia, lust. And epithumia literally means anger upon. Lust usually comes about from unfulfilled expectations. When you want something to happen, it doesn't happen. And lust develops out, out of that. Now, <clears throat> the last days... Include those who spiritually abuse others. That's part of what it's saying. They enter into households. They captivate. How could people enter into multiple households at the same time in the first century? Why is it using these words that are that are unique? And if it's only used once in the Bible, we call it a hopox. And so, why are they using... These hopoxes and these two-time usages to describe something of the last days. Because in the last days, since the advent of the radio, the television, guess what? They can enter into households and captivate. Weak women would be women that don't, don't know any better. They are the, the viewed uh, consistently as one of the weaker ones of society. James 1.27 Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father to visit orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself unstained by the world. So these are people that prey on the weaker ones of society. They don't care really about them, but they hold a form of godliness. So they've got a line, they've got a pitch, they're snake oil salesmen, they've got a way to, to do these things. They come into a house and they put it on like a garment, meaning they become an integral part of the household. It's like, hey, oh, so-and-so, the televangelist, the gigantic prophet and, and uh, maker of all good, he's on again at a certain, certain time, and therefore we have to, we have to set aside our time so we can listen to... To him, in the electronic age, this is more easily accomplished than any other time in the history of the world, and I think that's part of why it's in here. Their intent is to make one a prisoner of war, in a sense. They want to come in and captivate. Their method is manipulation, with a goal of captivation. Their focus is more on the sin than the solution. How do they present themselves? They are the solution. They talk a story about Jesus 
holding to a form of godliness, but they are the solution. And usually if you give to their ministry, it'll help. You know, somehow God always blesses you if you give to their ministry. I don't think I've ever heard one say, you know, there's a, there's a, and there probably is somebody out there, so, you know, there's a lot of good ministries out there you could give to and help. But no, you need to give to our ministry is usually the way that it, that it comes across. People who reject the Lord's plan, follow their sin natures, can literally be made prisoners of war. Literally. Luke 21, 24. What's that? All of it. Discourse. What did he say? They'll fall by the edge of the sword, prophecy of 70 AD, and will be led captive, Malatizo, into all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles till the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Interesting one of those usages to be found there. Uh, <clears throat> they can end up made prisoners of war. People who don't fight the sin nature can be taken captive by that sin nature. Romans 7, 22 and 23. This is Paul going, I joyfully confer, concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. He said, if I'm not careful, it happens even to me. This is the Apostle Paul. He has a sin nature on the inside, and as long as we're connected to this body, there's going to be a war going on. I didn't make up the word war or exaggerate it. It's in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. They're at war with one another, the flesh and the spirit. And the principle that we find is to keep from being taken captive by the forces of evil. We're called to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, Paul writes that the church at Corinth were destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We think about the way he lived. We think about the way he obeyed. And we stack up everything based on what God's word has to say. And that's what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. So we can be taken captive by our sin nature. We can be taken captive by the world. Or we can take every thought captive as Christ did in order that we can fight this world the way we should. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for all your blessings, all your tests, all the opportunities you set in front of us. Father, thank you again for your amazing word that reached down through the centuries with a relevance for us today that is only could only have been done by your hand. We thank you for that. May we appreciate it. May we be awestruck by it. And Father, may we remember it so we can use it to serve you honorably in this last times in which we live. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.